Welcome to the Right to the Streets edition of the GM Moving podcast. Join the conversation about what makes our streets, parks and public spaces joyful, welcoming places for people to be and to be active. Join me, Eve Holt, strategic leader at Greater Sport, on the journey around the streets as we explore people's freedom to move about without fear. In each episode, we hear about the roles we can all play to make where we live, work and play places where all women and girls feel they belong and are invited to be active. We gather stories, experiences and ideas as we speak to strategic leaders, decision makers and lots of local people who are creating the conditions in place for everyday moving and active lives for all. In this episode, you'll hear from leaders and locals as we explore women and girls' experiences of accessing and enjoying the city's nighttime economy and cultural offer, and what can be done to make it a better, safer and more joyful experience. When we talk about culture and the nighttime economy, it's often the things that we do after hours, including the theatre, cinema, gig going or nipping down the pub, having a cocktail in a bar or hitting a nightclub. When we talk about these venues and the streets around them, it's important to consider both the customers and the people who work there. Manchester is known around the world for its sports, culture and music venues. Trafford is home to some of the biggest concert venues, including Lancashire Cricket Ground, Victoria Warehouse and Old Trafford Football Ground, all of which are popular venues for international artists and gig-goers. The regular influx of visitors brings a big boost to the local economy, but sometimes comes at a cost for local people and place. In this episode, we'll explore some of the challenges in the sector and the things that can be done to make venues and the streets around them safer and more joyful places for everyone to live, work and play. So, coming up in this episode, we go out and speak to a bunch of gig-goers in Old Trafford about their experiences of feeling safe on a night out and the precautions they take to feel safer. Factoring in, are you close to somewhere that's open, like a garage, close enough to the venue? If one of us loses our phone or whatever, we've got like a meeting point. But first, let's speak to two Greater Manchester leaders who are working hard behind the scenes to ensure that your night out or the place you work after hours is safe. Joining me in Emmeline Pankhurst's room in the Greater Manchester Combined Authority offices is one of the region's most well-known faces and voices when it comes to talking about the nighttime economy. My name is uh, Sasha Lord. I'm the co-founder of both Parklife Festival, the Warehouse Project, and I'm also the nighttime economy advisor for Greater Manchester. Sasha grew up in Altrincham in Trafford, and this year marks his 30th year of promoting events in Manchester. In 2018, Sasha was invited by Greater Manchester Mayor Andy Burnham to become the region's first ever nighttime economy advisor. Joining Sasha and myself is a formidable force for good when it comes to advocating for the safety of women and girls in Trafford. I'm uh, Councillor Jo Harding and I represent the Ward of Ermston in Trafford and I'm the Executive Member for Culture, Leisure and Strategic Partnerships in Trafford. Jo has been a councillor since 2011 and has worked in the health and social care sector for over 25 years. I think on, on a night out, safety has to be number one. And I'll be completely honest, look, there are very few positives that came out of the COVID period. 
But what it did do is it gave the industry a moment to sit back and actually look at what we were doing right and what we were doing wrong. Were we treating the customers and the staff as well as best we could in terms of safety? I think the answer is probably no. We could do a lot more. I think coming out of that, that's one of the things that we're not just talking about here in Greater Manchester, but we're actually putting into effect as well. Deeds, not words. Exactly. So can you tell us some of the things that you've been involved in in doing in Greater Manchester? When you think about safety, most people think about customers on, on a night out. We've got to think about the staff as well. So many times we're hearing stories about staff walking home after work. And, you know, let's be honest, let's not sugarcoat it. We know my industry isn't greatly paid when you're working behind a, a bar or when you're serving in a, in a restaurant. So it's not viable to get taxis home. And, and at the moment, and I say at the moment because I think things might change, you know, transport in the early hours of the morning isn't fantastic and great advantage at the moment. So we have to create these safe spaces and, and one of the things we launched a couple of weeks ago when Unite came up to, to Greater Manchester is we stood shoulder to shoulder with Liverpool City Region as well and we launched Get Me Home Safely and that is putting more of the onus onto the operator to say, look, at the end of the night, don't just shut the doors of the nightclub, kick all your staff out. You're responsible for those staff to make sure they get home safely. That's the correct thing to do. We know we do it at Park Life, put double-decker buses on. That's one of the things we're doing. But on a, on a safe night out as well with the customers, we did launch... Pre-COVID, and they're still going on as well, safety havens. And what that is, if somebody has had a few drinks on a, on a night out, these places you can actually sit with St. John's ambulance people who are qualified. You can talk to them sober up. But it might be a case where you just feel a bit anxious or you just want to recharge your phone because you've lost your friends on a night out, get in touch with them, or you just want a cup of tea or something. So how do people find out where a safe haven is? How would they know that there is one that they can access? We purposely put them in busy areas. So if you're on a night out in Wigan, the street to go to is, is King Street. That's all the bars and clubs are. And it's slap bang in the centre. And what's really good actually at the beginning of the night is whoever's working it from St. John's will go to the security on the front doors or, or the management and say, look, we're here again. Any issues, just bring them over to us. Great. Thank you. So, Joanne, both I guess in your councillor role as a ward councillor and in your exec role, why, why does this issue matter to you? Well, I guess for me, Eve, as well as being a councillor, I'm also a citizen in Trafford. I'm a woman who lives in Trafford and I'm the mum of an 18-year-old girl. So it matters hugely to me because I want my life and environment to be safe. I want my daughter and her friends and her life to be vibrant and safe and that she can feel she can go about her life and enjoy all of the great experiences that Greater Manchester has to offer. But as a councillor, I regularly hear from women in Trafford who tell me some of the terrible experiences that they have had on nights out or when they've been exercising or in the park or just some of those encounters that they have in everyday life. So I hear the stories and it matters to me that we work to find solutions I guess the other thing to say for me is that this isn't about demonising boys and men either. It's important we recognise we have an issue. This was really brought to life to me by some really brave students at one of the schools in Trafford who told me when they were doing their Duke of Edinburgh award and they were walking through Trafford and a group of guys on a construction site spoke to them in a really 
misogynistic, um, sexually harassing them. And these girls are 15. They were terrified. So they opened up to me. Then as a result of that came other stories about body shaming in school and just in everyday life, what it's like to be a young woman. So looking to find solutions, men involving boys and men, one of the things I'm looking to develop is an education charter in Trafford. So we have boys who feel confident to intervene or say this is not okay that will also feed into the Greater Manchester gender-based violence work. So it matters hugely, but it matters that we find solutions too. And we're going to be talking with some of the girls as well that were so pleased that they came forward and they approached you, didn't they? Because mm. they'd, I think, seen you as someone that cared about this issue. And we're going to have those on a future podcast, which is great. But again, we know that often it isn't reported, that people don't think they're going to be taken seriously. They don't think their experiences are going to be, yeah, are going to be validated. So I guess in, in your experience, Sasha, you know, across all those cultural venues and in your experience of managing park life, you know, is there anything you've seen that helps encourage then young women to report incidents? Um, and what can we do so that they do know they're going to be heard, they're going to be listened and they're going to be believed? There's people that kids look up to. It's our responsibility to make them understand they are going to be heard. There's an attitude change now. And I think boys and men are understanding what was wrong a few years ago. And I do think attitude is definitely changing. And I think one thing we have said in Greater Manchester, which is absolutely right, is call it out. You know, if something's not right, if you are a boy or a man, you see something that's wrong, call it out. I'm intrigued. So when you think there's a change, what have you seen and, and heard that's giving you, I guess, some hope that there's this bit of a cultural change coming or happening? On a ground level. So I've seen it at Warehouse Project. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say everything at Warehouse Project is absolutely perfect. It's really not. So we have volunteers who are trained. We, we call them the angels and they walk around the venue the whole time looking for, for girls and women who are vulnerable. And the change that we've noticed in the last couple of years is actually not just their friends, but boys and men are actually bringing them forward now and saying, look, we've just seen this here, this happened, that's not right. And they actually help the volunteers to go over to security and point out where the issues happened. And we haven't really seen that apart from the last couple of years. That was not happening, certainly pre-COVID. So that's why I think attitudes are changing slightly. Great, that's good to hear. And one of the elements of the project has been bystander training. So how do we encourage people to know how they can take action? They can call it out and be good allies and good bystanders, whether again that's in the workplace, in schools, in college, on our street, in our communities. So it sounds like probably the training for the angels, I imagine it has lots of similarities. Is that something that you see in here as a norm across other kind of festivals or events across nighttime operators? Is that something that people expect? to have in place the responsible ones yes if you're a licensee there are five objectives that you have to tick the box for one of the main ones is actually looking after everybody in that venue it's their responsibility then to pass that message on to whether it's security whether it's the bar staff i think what i'd say to anybody listening to this who goes on a night out is don't automatically assume as most people do if you run into a problem you've got to contact a member of security you know, those bar staff or the staff that's there, whether they're cleaning the floor or whatever, you know, they are the front line, really. Go to the nearest member of staff and say there's a problem. There is a good chance that they will know exactly how to deal with that. 
And is there anything more we can do that, I guess, standardises that, so makes that the norm, that all operators know that all staff is going to have a basic level of training to be a good bystander, a good ally? Definitely, and this is something we're doing right in Greater Manchester. You know, you've, you've heard of the Good Employment Charter that's been introduced. And take-up was not fantastic within hospitality. We know the reasons why. It was shut. But we are open. Greater Manchester's bouncing back quicker than many other city regions. For me, great that we're having this conversation, but things aren't changing quickly enough in that look at the example I just gave you about those construction site workers. I will guarantee they will have a partner, a sister, maybe a daughter, their mum. They wouldn't speak to their mum, daughter, partner the way they spoke to those kids. They simply wouldn't, but there's something innate that they thought that that was okay. So that has to be called out. It's that casual, everyday sexism and misogyny. And there's some brilliant examples on the Is This Okay video. Hey, beautiful, give us a smile. They look much prettier when you smile. I don't ignore me. Come on, love. Think you're better than me, yeah? You're not even that fit. What, you're not going to invite me now? Yeah, you're asking for it dressed like that. Are you off tonight? <laughs> I should definitely want it. Are you sexy? Do you think this is okay? Social media plays a huge part in what young boys and men have access to. So they have access to porn from a very early age, which gives a very false sense of what relationships are like with women and girls. So I think that has to be challenged and worked upon for sure. So what are some of the things that you would like to see, I guess, operationalised across our kind of cultural venues, our nighttime economy in Trafford? So in Trafford... There's the right to the streets work we're doing, which I think is really exciting. Women are coming to us and saying, we do want to exercise more, but if the street lighting's too dark or if there are too many trees um, and it's really dark, you know, I run to the gym. I don't want to run to the gym if it's dark and wet and cold because I do feel more anxious about that. And it's about all ages. If we want women to be physically active and well, we've got to consider how all ages feel. And right to the streets is the right thing, really. We all have a right to the streets. So there's the right to the streets, there's licensing, responsible licensing laws, um, working with our taxi drivers and nighttime economy. But for me, it starts early doors. So that prevention work, having those conversations with young boys and men, but keeping boys and men safe is, is vital in our fight to get this right. So on that rallying call to action, let's leave Joe and Sasha for a few minutes. Come with me and our producer Danielle to speak to a bunch of excitable gig goers who are experiencing the nighttime economy in Trafford firsthand. So we're just on the road right outside Victoria Warehouse. There's lots of taxis and pulling up. We have lots of party goers who are all going to see the chicken. I'm very jealous. So is Danielle. <laughs> gutted, gutted. I can hear a few uh, tickets out in the background, buying and selling the last few tickets, and just been great. It's you know great to to talk to people as they arrive about their experiences on our streets, what makes them feel safe, what doesn't, um, and what are things we can improve. <laughs> I always think about. How to be safe. It's always something that I think about. Even I live in a really nice village. I'm going to go back there tonight. And then I will still think, how am I getting home? Am I going to be okay? Which way am I walking? Is it lit? And that's ridiculous because it's a really safe village, isn't it? Yeah, it is. 
And now, if I'm in the city centre, then I would always be like quite conscious of that. In almost, in almost I don't know. I suppose it's more well lit. There's more CCTV, so it that is safety makes numbers you feel as well. Safe. Yeah. So I think if you're on your own, isolation I think is a big thing. So walking around on your own instantly feel fearful. I think if you've got people with you around you, like that's what's important. And I think yeah. that's where, like, yeah, for me, that's definitely something I would look for. Am I on my own? Yeah. Have I got people near me? Yeah. I think the lighting's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. I always I always take roads that have got lighting. I like plan my route by lighting. So I'll always go, you know, right, okay, that's the better lit route, so I'll walk that way instead. Because I just think it, it feels safer that way. So you take a lot of, you do a lot of planning, yeah. sounds like. You think about it a lot. I'm a <laughs> and do you all, is that, do you all feel like, like consciously or subconsciously you're yeah, thinking about what you're doing? Yeah. I do, I do, but I, I carry my keys in my hand. Just in case, yeah. yeah. I always put my key through my fingers yeah. so that, just in case. But I think you're, you're absolutely right. What's sad is that like, this is all a conversation. Like, we have to think about it. It has to be a thought. Like, you can you cannot just come out on a night like tonight and just go, I'll be okay, like, have that confidence. It never happens. You always think about, how am I getting home? Who knows where I am? Um, who am I with? Do they know what to do if I'm missing? Like, these are all conversations that you kind of have internally. You know, and yeah. it would be so a wonderful place if that wasn't the case. Yeah. But yeah, just yeah. I think, but men don't have those conversations no, or those thoughts. No, my husband literally walks the total opposite way home to I will, and I, I, I had that conversation with him. And I was like, up straight up yeah. the dark path, and I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing? You could get you, that's dangerous. You think, and he said, always oh, says, no, it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not. What do you think has made that difference? Why does he feel safe doing that, and do other men? And why don't you? physical strength I guess is but but that's sad you know it's sad that that it comes to that but I think that's what it is it's physical strength to be able to stop someone doing something and also I guess just the fact that it's written in history as yeah. well like it's, that's what that's how it that's how it feels that it is like women are like that's the stuff women have to have. deal with that's the narrative that women have and it's not the narrative women men have and like I will I look forward to the day when I have my daughters not have that narrative but I don't know I don't know how we make that happen I don't have the answer yeah what do you think I think and I, I think some of it's education for yeah, men I'm, as well. I'm, actually, I'm a, sec- I'm a secondary school teacher, and we do it. We're doing an awful lot in school about this kind of thing. Um, so I teach in a secondary school, and, and and it's a big priority for us. It's a massive priority. Gender equality in both senses. You know, it, it's, it really affects women, but gender equality also really affects men. Um, and we're just basically always working on, um, you know, instilling that in our men that they have to look after, look, you know, look on a night out, you know. But I don't think it's just that. I don't think it's just looking after people. Sorry, <laughs> but I think it's. I think, yeah. But I think it's. I think it's educating men how women feel if you are following somebody late at night, with not necessarily malicious intent, but that that might make a woman feel uncomfortable. So I've read things about guys who will now cross the road or things like that, which I think is it's an education for men as well to understand why women feel vulnerable. However, I would just say, I think, in all seriousness, the teenagers in our village do that really, really well. Yeah. You know, I actually think teenagers are getting it. You know, I, 
if there's a young man and he's maybe 16, 17, 18, he will always cross the road. And I think that message is getting across um, to the younger people. I think, you know, it's it, the, 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 the future is bright. I do think they are getting it slow, slowly but surely in secondary school. I do think, obviously, there'll always be in society those that are deviant, that, that want to make people feel uncomfortable. We're, we're never going to get rid of that. But I do think, as a whole, the youth of today are getting it. Hear things like the young men in your secondary school. So, do you say? Do they say things differently? So, what things make you have that hope? I, I, I do. I think. I think people pull up um, sexist comments a lot more. I think that's not acceptable anymore. Obviously, you're still going to get um, pupils that do it, but I, I do think there is definitely um, a change where other people will call out those kind of conversations and say that's not okay. Like, it's not. It, there has been a massive shift on that from when I was at school and people were pinging your bar straps. You know, it's changed. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen anymore. It's not okay. Good sense of hope. Go on, I'm going to ask you one quick question. <laughs> no. Go on. Yeah, you answer. Go on. He is. He's got I mean, three daughters. He's, he's good. Yes, you've got three daughters. So how do? Yeah. So for you, in terms of them feeling safe on our streets and stuff, do you get? Are you concerned? Yeah, of course I am. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think uh, I'd like them to live up in a you know, generation that doesn't fear it, to be honest, and doesn't have the same fears that our generation had. And I think as the generations go on, they've got better and better, but, you know, there's a lot of room for improvement. Do you see or hear other men, if you're out and about? You know, sometimes it's low-level stuff, isn't it? It's, it's you know, it's catcalling, or it's the language that's used, and that kind of behaviour, that kind of, you know, level of misogyny, really, that sometimes just builds up and creates a culture that makes us all feel unsafe. Do you see or hear stuff and do you ever feel able to call stuff out? I mean, I'm in my 40s now so when I was younger maybe a lot more, you know I think it's less and less as generations get more more wise, more you know, educated. So I think they're getting better and better and you know I've got a lot of hope for the future but there's still room for improvement. We move on and spot a group of mainly girls heading into the venue. I ask them if they feel safe when they go out at night. I feel safe when we're all together, yeah. but not on my own, no. no not on my no. own, not at all. No. So what I, sort of things do you do? So you come out as a group? Yeah, um, or if I'm on my own, I probably like bring someone. That's probably the safest thing yeah, to do. I always, we've got each other on location, so yeah. we always know where each other is. Yeah, if I'm going somewhere, I'll text her and like, can you just track me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only lad in the group has an interesting take on the safety of women and girls here in the UK and thinks it's a societal issue. Society in the UK is a bit broken. You go anywhere else in Europe or into the more uh, cons- conservative areas, uh, women aren't treated as, as poorly as they are over here, but because of the poor social structure and the poor education over here, uh, women obviously do feel a bit more threatened as they do. So I'm saying there needs a bit more reform in that, in that sense. So you talked there about education, so that's one of the things that you think would make a difference. It's not not just education, it's just family values as well. You know, family structure, um, where I'm from, it's it's a bit more stronger than it is in the UK. So so women don't feel a sense of uh, so much danger as they do over it. And where are you from? Slovakia. So is there anything that either that you've learned or that you've learned that does make a difference? Like what sort of things that you don't have to do that other people can do that would make you feel safer? Whether that's men or whether it's the design of kind of venues and... Don't really know, to be honest. No, because I don't think there is anything at the minute that does make me feel any safer other than having each other. Yeah. 
feel like you just need someone there with you. I don't feel safe. I'm, sometimes it might, I used to go to a gym in a town centre and I wouldn't feel safe walking to my car just because it was dark and there's bars about and I'd be on my own. I to move gyms completely in the winter time just because my preferred gym was such a long walk in the dark. So I had to walk to a, a poor gym like in the centre just so I would feel safe getting on the bus home. Like It was ridiculous. Hotel tonight, and I texted Lauren and I was saying we can't walk home here. We need to get a taxi. It's just safer, but it's just life, isn't it? <laughs> it shouldn't be, though, should it? No. Like, do male friends have that experience? No. no. Not that I know of. No. no. <laughs> yeah. No. If I'm walking down the street on my own and there's a there's a bunch of dudes walking towards me, yeah, I feel yeah. There might be a bit of a threat. You don't know. You don't know what they're doing. You don't. You don't know if they're taking anything. You don't know if they're drunk. If they're high or anything else. You know. They might. They might come up. Especially in England, where the knife crime is absolutely ridiculous. It's dangerous for everyone. Obviously, women feel a lot more in danger. But guys are in the same sense. It's just like we don't speak about it as much. If it was a group of girls coming towards me, or even a, like a single girl, I wouldn't feel the same as if it was a group of men or yeah. a single man. Yeah. So I'd say, in some ways, it is the fear of what could happen with a man rather than a woman because a woman is as likely to rob me as a man realistically but nine, but nine times out of ten you're absolutely fine aren't oh, you yeah. just can't take the risk just get a bit worried I mean, the only time I've ever been jumped actually was by a girl <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it's what it is gap between kind of actually not feeling safe but have you experienced like have you, have you experienced anything that's made you unsafe and that might be some like low level kind of harassment and stuff do you get on the streets do you have people saying not so much now but I think it's almost ingrained in my brain now that there is a danger and then you see about everything on the news and you're like oh god what what's going to happen next yeah I don't think mine's mainly on the streets it's in clubs like boys like mm. to get handsy like there's a club like where I'm from in Chorley and there's guys that just come up to you and like they'll fondle your breasts or your bum or something like that and just without any permission and they just go up and do that and they think it's okay so are there clubs and venues that take actions that help prevent that or make you feel safer make you feel like you could yeah. report it yeah there's the Ask Angela thing now isn't there if you're yeah. on a really bad date you can go and say Ask Angela and they'll tell you how to get home but a lot of the time it's just like yeah. it's so happens I, so quick there was one in Leeds where I'm from at Prism in Leeds and someone grabbed my breast and I told a member of security because I was on a work night out and it happened in front of all my colleagues and they went, well, if you really want us to, we can kick them out, but we'll have to speak to the manager. And then it just felt like, well, am I making a big deal of it? So it didn't happen. Just behind us, a car door slams and a few women climb out of a taxi. We approach them for a natter. I'm not really sure, to be honest with you, about the area. I mean, we've been round here at night. Um, I guess anywhere, because it is quite out of the way, you probably, probably wouldn't feel fully safe. And you've all obviously knocked the glasses off. And you've obviously all arrived tonight in a taxi as a big group as well, and, like, right by the entrance. So do you do that consciously, like, thinking about kind of safety, or is that just... Laziness. <laughs> Laziness. <laughs> And do you go out to lots of gigs and go out regularly? Yeah, yeah, we do, don't we? Yeah. And generally, do you feel I'm safe then going out at night and going out Depends what areas. Okay. Factoring in, are you close to somewhere that's open? Yeah. Whether that's like literally a service, like a garage or a corner shop or, yeah, close enough to the venue. Is the public transport that's nearby? We obviously got an 
either. Yeah, yeah. So you plan those things? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. getting away, so at the end it's night, have you got a taxi sorted or how are you going to get Not home? Not yet, but for example, if one of us loses our phone or whatever, we've got like a meeting point and you make sure that you have like a safe, secure place and you, yeah. I want to be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> you pick wisely. <laughs> And with a few minutes to go before Fatboy Slim takes the stage, we grab our last gig-goers, who put a lovely positive spin on the conversation of safety here in Greater Manchester. When I come to Manchester, I genuinely do feel safe, yeah. Amazing. Manchester is, is my the home. Place be, it is the New York City of England. Such, it is, it's got such heart. It is, it is, I can go out, I can go out with my friends. And be who you and, want. No, but also, if my friends want to go, I am like, I welcome that. Go home, that's fine. Like, if you were on your own in Manchester, you walk into any bar, and you, could, you could always talk to a group of people, and they're so welcoming. You could walk round in Manchester, right, wearing a bin bag, and not one person would <laughs> no, question you. They'd be like, oh my God, that's such that's Have a good night. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Take thank care. You Take care. Cheers. I don't know about you, but I think that last young woman would make a fantastic addition to Marketing Manchester. So we've heard firsthand some of the experiences, safety precautions and ideas from those who experience culture and the nighttime economy. Let's rejoin Joe and Sasha to talk about what they would like to see happen to create a nighttime economy that's safe for all. I pick back up by asking Sasha to explain more about the recent anti-spiking movement that he's been involved with. Look, spiking is not new. Sadly, it's been around for, for many, many years. What was brilliant is the girls and women about two years ago across the whole of the UK said, you know what, enough is enough. We're not going to just accept this anymore. Uh, we, we can't turn a blind eye to it. And I don't know if you remember, there was a, a boycott. They boycotted nightclubs across the whole of the UK. And actually, it was a Wednesday night that it happened in, in Manchester. And I remember it really well because I was in London during the daytime. And it was Andy Burnham that phoned me up that said, have you heard about this demonstration that's taking place tonight? And I had. And he said, you know, I think we should go along and have a listen to what they say. And we were both shocked how many people attended it. There must have been seven, 800 people there. We listened to some of the stories and it didn't feel right that we said anything. You know, it was their platform. It was for them to say it. But we, we engaged and three or four days later with Greater Manchester Police, we both walked down to the university and we met and we heard some of those stories and I knew it, it went on, but I was shocked actually at what they were telling us. Completely unacceptable. So we started some work in Greater Manchester, rolling out on-site spiking kits because half the problem is once you've, you've slept it off, there's a good chance that it's, it's actually out of your system. So you need to get it there and then on-site. So we're rolling that out and it felt Positive, and we're hearing the right noise from the government to say, you know, we're going to make this a specific criminal offence. And actually, Pretty Patel came out and said that that she'd make it a specific criminal offence. But then, remarkably, and none of us could understand why it was a complete curveball. The current Home Secretary came out in beginning of January and said, well, actually, she's quite fine with a law that was made in 1861. Now, you don't have to go out and socialise to understand that socialising in 1861 is completely different to socialising in 2023. And I was away at the time. So I, I said to my wife, you know, I can't understand what, what the thought throat process behind this. So 
I mentioned something on Twitter. I opened up my um, private messages and said, get in touch, let's have a conversation when I get back. Expecting 20, 25 people maybe to come forward. There were hundreds and hundreds. There were that many people that came forward. I feel guilty because I couldn't personally respond. There were too many for me to respond to. But the story that happened time and time and time again, as I was told, was, well, you know, it did happen, but actually we never reported it because we didn't think it would be taken seriously or luckily my friends were there. They looked after me. They got me in a cab. They took me home. I slept it off, you know, and I didn't want to waste anyone's time. That is not right. And I think, firstly, by making it not a specific criminal offence, what message did that send out to the criminals? Because that's what they are. They're criminals that are doing this. I think if you're one of these criminals, you need to know that you're facing a custodial sentence. And, you know, you need to give the ammunition to the police as well to be able to deal with this because, you know, I'm speaking to police and they are slightly confused about what they would do with it. So we are in the process of trying to get that a specific criminal offence. And I've, I've been down to Parliament a couple of times now and we're getting cross-party support on it, which is is good. I think it's the right thing to do. And, you know, if we can achieve that in Greater Manchester, hopefully it'll have an effect for the rest of the UK. And obviously that was one of the key levers we've got, haven't we? It's policing and recognising that when things are crimes, they're making spiking in particular a criminal offence. We also know that lots of the day-to-day harassment, everyday sexism that happens on our streets also isn't a policing matter, isn't seen as a policing matter because it's not a criminal offence and misogyny itself isn't, still isn't a hate crime. Anything that you would yeah, like to add, I guess, Joe, in terms of your experience about what, what more would we like to see happen that would ensure that it is taken seriously, it is a policing matter, and then that the resources are there to act? Well, you know, we've only got to look at some of the institutional misogyny that is in some of our services. We've seen reports from policing and the fire service report that's come out over the last couple of days hasn't made pleasant reading. So I think we have a job of work to do in some of our services, which are meant to be trusted institutions. So to Sasha's point, when he said then some, you know, victims of spiking will, you know, go and sleep it off and then they'll think, I'm not going to bother reporting it because there's some of that victim shaming or they'll be thinking, oh, nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to believe me. And that does happen with women and girls. They, you know, something can happen. It's not their fault. It's not about what they're wearing. It's not about how much they've had to drink. It's not about whether they're walking somewhere that isn't well lit. It's not on them. But, you know, they will invariably think, nobody's going to take me seriously. Nobody's going to listen to me because you look at some of the mainstream press about some of these trusted institutions and it's quite terrifying. So they won't report. So there's work we have to do as a system at a local, a regional and a national level to really have those honest conversations about how we change culture. And that has to be some of those smaller steps, some of those conversations starting in schools. And it takes men to be honest with themselves and to put the mirror up and say am I guilty of that sometimes do I behave like that sometimes it's not a great look is it you know if I'm going to advocate for change I need to be somebody who leads that change so we need some of those ambassadors that are honest about some of the things they do sometimes and and lead the way forward I didn't have access to a mobile phone when I was starting to go out 18 and 
you know, everybody's got them now. Everyone's on TikTok. Everyone's on Instagram. Not so much that, not so much Twitter for the young kids, but some of the things that's available on there, and then some of the disgusting people on there that have platforms is is quite shocking actually. There was one recently who, who fortunately now is in, is imprisoned at the moment. But some things he was saying and doing, I don't understand how he's allowed a platform to do that. But also, mobile phones are used very much as a weapon, you know, upskirting, taking photographs of women and girls that are potentially in quite vulnerable situations if they have had a drink or if they are vulnerable. And next thing you know, there's revenge porn, there are images all across social media that then you can't take down. They are out there. They are then an absolute blight on a young woman's life. You know, there was the case in Ireland of a young woman with revenge porn. It was horrific to read. And you just think, whilst phones are great and they keep us connected, you look at this world of social media, 24-hour connectivity and images that are circulated around the world, it's utterly terrifying. So there's this kind of mainstreaming, isn't there, then sexualisation, objectification of women that we're talking about here, which is a real cultural issue. And we are bombarded every day <laughs> from all directions still with this narrative that means that you often feel that it's, yeah, it is your fault and that's that's where your place in society. So how, go on then, what, what's the ask of people listening? Because what we don't want is to stay static and people become overwhelmed and go, it's too hard to make a difference. What can I do? What can little old me do to make a difference? Well, I am always going to say deeds, not words, aren't I? I'm always going to say that because we can put as many strategies with glossy pictures as we want out there. We can do all of that. doesn't make an ounce of difference unless you're going to commit to taking some actions. So I think that's the first thing, really. It has to be deeds, not words. It has to be stepping up when you know it's the right thing to do. Call it out, challenge it. And I think we all have to own it together, recognise there's an issue and be committed to change and keep the faith because I think we can change things. We've just got to keep the faith. I would say if you're a customer or if you're a member of staff, vote with your feet. Go to those places where you do feel safe. Work in those places where you do feel safe because if you do that and the footfall starts to shift into certain areas, you'll notice operators are guilt-tripped into it. And they shouldn't be guilt-tripped. They should be doing it anyway, but you'll find that they need to start stepping up to the playing field that you're in. And there's something that both of you have role modelled. So you talk about, I guess, the negative side effect of social media. But both of you have used social media to signal that this is something that you say is not okay, that you will listen, that you will validate the experiences of women and girls. In both, you know, they, both the spiking example, Stratford Girls example, those people wouldn't have come to you if they didn't feel that they'd be listened. And if you hadn't signalled out that this is something that you care about, and that's something that many of us can do, can't we? It's just signalling proactively to say, I care about this issue. I'm here, I'm going to listen, and I'm going to do what I can that's within my control and my influence to act. And just think about how many of those people out there who, you know, probably do care about this issue, but maybe don't quite go as far enough to say that visibly and to use their power and their platform to really make a stand. It's interesting. So quite a lot of the people that came forward actually weren't the girls and women who'd been affected. They're actually the mums and dads as well because their kids still felt embarrassed about the whole situation, which is ridiculous when you think about it. So deeds, not words. You're 100% right. And there's an education piece in that back, isn't there, as well, in terms of that how... As a woman on our streets, I still think how often I would be quick to blame myself if something happened because actually I do go running out in the dark and I want to do that. 
But the fear is often, well, if something happened, people would say, well, you're stupid to be doing that. Why did you do that? Why did you walk back? Why did you go out? This shouldn't be for you. And we end up self-limiting ourselves and access to all the brilliant things that we know the city region has to offer because the expectation has been really normalised that it'll be our fault. So how we all of us as educators, and I mean all of us, not just in formal institutions and all as parents, can help say that message that is, just as you said, it's not on you. Definitely. You know, I think maybe this is a subconscious change as well, because I've noticed myself, and this has probably only been the last two to three years, I go running every morning and there's a couple of, I call them ginnels. Quite often or not, there'll be a woman walking a dog and those ginnels are quite narrow, aren't they? And I feel quite awkward. And I know when she hears my feet in the background running, she'll probably get quite anxious about it. So from a distance, I always say, good morning, you know, make a point of it to let her know that, you know, well, I'm trying to be friendly and I'm here in the background. You know, I, I think the point that you made about people crossing the road and stuff, it is quite important. It is. And I mean, what you were saying, Ben Eve, I mean, my mum will still say to me, don't go out at night. I'm 56, you know, and I'll say, Mum, I'm all right, but I am super cautious. I am. I've got a little dog. I take him for a last walk round the block at night about nine o'clock. And even though I feel comfortable in the area I live, I am still a little jumpy, a little twitchy when it's dark. And that's just sometimes perception when it's darker. But it is the thing about respecting that we all live in a community respecting we want to rub along together quite nicely thank you very much and I want to look to men in my community to champion my right to the streets I want to look to men as allies and I've got some brilliant male allies in my life and they are going to be the champions that will get this message across too so I think as Eve said really it's incumbent upon all of us to get the message without demonizing boys and men because we all know it's not all men but it is up to us to get that message out there and sometimes it's like rehumanizing, isn't it? We've heard lots of examples through this project of the way that when people just take the initiative to say hello, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes people find that easier if they've got a dog with them or got a kid with them or something that provides that kind of tool to just rehumanize and just remind people and recognize that the other person may also be being fearful, maybe for another reason. And I've definitely noticed I do that more now that if I'm out, I'm more likely to be the one that quickly says, oh, hi, when I approach a big group. And immediately they turn around and they smile and they say hello. And you've just stopped that fear. You've broken the ice. But that can be very tricky depending on who you are, on your own kind of characteristics and and how much of a victim you feel like you might be in that scenario. So, you know, it's not to say that that is necessarily easy or feasible for everybody, but something about how we can all just... Up along, get on, <laughs> be human, be nice to each other yeah. and make the streets, yeah, joyful places. So as a, a final word, help us paint that vision of what you think Greater Manchester could look like if our streets truly felt welcoming, joyful, active places for all. The safer it is on a night out, whether you're a customer or staff, the busier it will be. It, it is that simple. I know there are lots of parents out there who won't let their kids go out because they don't have the confidence it's going to be safe. I know there are parents that won't let their kids go to Wales Budget or Parlife. I know it, I understand it, I get it when there's 80,000 people and they're amongst that. Can I guarantee they're 100% safety? Well, no, of course I can't, but you do as much as you, you possibly can. And actually, in Trafford, whilst we're talking about it, Ultrium is about to apply for Purple Flag, which is fantastic, you know, and that is a really good, it's like a kite mark of a good, diverse, safe night out. Joe, 
For me, it would be women telling me that they've had a brilliant night out, not only in Trafford, but in Greater Manchester. They've had a great night out. They felt safe and they've really enjoyed themselves. And it would be boys and men saying that they are absolute active ambassadors, that they call this out. You know, it's not acceptable to behave in those ways. I want to hear more of those stories. And I have said Trafford will be one of the safest boroughs for women and girls to live. And I intend to make that happen as part of the Greater Manchester work. But absolutely, you know, it's not a utopian vision. I want all women and girls to feel safe. But ultimately, we're on a journey together and we've got to keep striving to make that happen. Big, big thanks to Sasha and Joe for taking the time out of their super busy diaries to come and talk to us. As this podcast is just the start of the conversation, we'd love to hear more. Going for a night out is something that most of us really look forward to and enjoy. Whether that's a cinema date, a trip to the theatre, watching your favourite band or having dinner. But what makes that night out experience feel safe for you? What do you think could be improved? More street angels? Taxi marshals? Public transport that runs late into the night? What makes the difference? If you work in a nighttime venue, or perhaps own or manage a nighttime venue, we'd also love to get your perspective. What have you seen make the difference when it comes to the safety of female staff and patrons? Whatever it is, let us know and we'll share your thoughts on future episodes of this podcast. We've got a few ways you can get in touch. We're on social media, we're on LinkedIn and Twitter. Simply search GM Moving or Greater Sport. Or you can leave us a voicemail. It's really simple and free and you can record on your computer or phone. You can find the link to that in this episode show notes and on our GM Moving website. Just search Right to the Streets podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Right to the Streets edition of the GM Moving podcast. I've absolutely loved this conversation. I think I'm going to go and stand outside gigs with a mic more often. Aren't people just great? A number of things particularly stood out for me. Firstly, just how pervasive the narrative around women not being safe on our streets is. How it's written in history, as we were told. The importance of educating men and how women may feel if you walk up behind them. And how greater gender equality will make lives better for men and boys too. There were lots of references again to the ways that people look out for and care for each other, even as complete strangers. And some really encouraging messages of hope from Sasha Lord and local gig goers that young people really do get it and are quicker to pull up and challenge sexist comments. Their optimism that the future is bright feels like the perfect note to end on. A big thanks to everyone who has contributed to this episode. We'll be releasing more episodes throughout the next few months, so keep an eye on our social media pages for when the next one will be released. Or simply hit follow or subscribe on whatever podcast player you're listening to right now. This means the latest episode will go straight into your library as soon as it's released. This Right to the Street series, the Dean Moving Podcast, is one element of the Right to Streets project, led by Great Sport, Trafford Council, Open Data Manchester and other GM Moving partners. Thanks to funding from the Home Office for Safer Streets. This series is a Mike Media production.